Amen. Amen. Yeah, clap. That's right. Goodness. No power of hell stands against that, people. I'm sorry. Now when the saints are singing that song, Jesus already won everything for us, so we just got to walk it out. All right. Already started preaching. Now I started. Okay, here we go. Second Gators, remember to go to your new amazing class. You're getting, uh, I don't know if it's bumped. What did she say? You're moving. It's, uh, you're moving to the upper elementary class. So just wonderful people will tell you what to do if you're in second grade. So going out there, I can take off that post-it note. That is done. All right. So how is everybody doing? Hanging in there? Good? Um, <clears throat> happy Super Bowl? You say that? Happy Super Bowl day? <laughs> it's a holiday, right? It's, Super Bowl is a holiday. So a merry Super Bowl? I don't know what you say. So it's the Super Bowl. Their teams will play, and food will be eaten, and it'll be a great time. I heard that... Uh, Americans will eat like 2 billion wings today, so um, that's a lot. I think we're going to bet like $7.6 million. If you're into wings and gambling, today is your day. Um, and happy Valentine's Day tomorrow. Yesterday, the, the Galentine's thing was just a stellar success, so thank you to Tracy and to Logan and all those who were involved for all your work there. That was wonderful. What a God-honoring time that was. So, um, but tomorrow's Valentine's Day, so if you don't know that and you're a guy and you have a, a, a lady that you're responsible for, for keeping, then um, there's your warning. So don't, don't screw it up. So um, also, if you're a lady, show the guy a lot of grace. It's just a made-up holiday after all. So, and uh, also, if you're a guy and you're kind of a jerk, the rest of the year, you can't make it up tomorrow. You have to actually be nice the other 364 days. So that's the end of that. Uh, Treb, by the way, is not here because he has been taken out by the coronavirus. So he's been sick all week. And if you know Treb, uh, he always jokes. He does not uh, take sick days a whole lot because, I don't know, he just doesn't usually get all that sick. But he has been out. Like, I laugh because I t text him and call him. And he's like, his percentage of, of, like, his humanity goes up every day. So he's almost at 70% now. So <laughs> he was down into the 30s on Tuesday and Wednesday. So uh, he's, he's alive. Uh, he's really, really tired. So that's why he's not uh, preaching here today. Last week, he and Meredith were, were out of town in Tulsa on a, at a thingamajigger for construction people. I don't know. They're not construction. Long story. Ask him about it later. But that's why he's not here. And he's okay. He's recovering from, from the old uh, COVID, Corona, Omicron, whatever it's called now. We're just going to call it the sickness, and he's getting over it. So, so we are in Hebrews again, and uh, we're in chapter 13. We're, we're trying to close it out, and we're going to be in 13, 7 through 10. I'm smiling because we'd blocked out to do 7 through 14, and we just, we just struggled with this. Okay, I'll be honest. So there's a couple verses in here that we really wanted to focus on, and uh, we'll get it all finished. I guess you're not in a hurry, so... The word will be here, and we're just going to keep teaching it. Um, and but we're we've already broken our, our plan that we had to finish out Hebrews, but we will finish it because there's only a couple more verses. So eventually we'll get done with this and move on to Easter and some other things. But we will be in Hebrews chapter 13, ending this this wonderful book and uh, discussing today uh, what it looks like to to remember people who have taught us in the past, um, considering their outcome of their faith about Jesus, and also to keep your eye out for bad teaching that's out there. So with that, let's just go ahead and pray and dive into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for your goodness, for your kindness to us. Thank you that you've given us the word of God in our language, not just in our language, but in so many different translations, Lord, that we don't have to be scholars of 
ancient languages to be able to really understand the text. Thank you for the hard work of all of the saints that have gone before us to give us access to your word. And we pray, Lord, that the work of continuing to translate the Bible into spoken languages throughout the world would continue. It's going at a rapid pace, Lord. Bless those servants who are doing that. We thank you for the grace you've given us to be able to join in the body of Christ, to be part of the fellowship of believers. It is a gift, Lord, to be able to come here to call each other brother and sister in Christ, to worship you together, to do what we were created to, to be equipped for the work of service that you have given us, to live out the workmanship that you have made us for. So we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, I just want to take a moment before we open your word and ask you to teach us. I just want you to just shatter the way we think, Lord. Um, If we're thinking incorrectly, would you change it? If we're living erroneously, would you correct us? If we are walking in shame, would you redeem us by your grace? If we are feeling the weight of our own failures, would you call us to your throne of grace to find mercy and help? If we are in sin, would you free us? Help us, Lord Jesus. We come to you out of great need. Just take time, a moment now, and ask the Lord to do that very thing. Take a few moments and pray and ask him to teach you something, to teach you something new, to teach you something true, and to have an encounter with him today in his word. Lord, we need you, and we need to pray for other people to intercede on their behalf, so we do that now. Take a moment and and pray for the people around you. Ask that the Lord would encourage them and that they would encounter him today, that he would teach them today, that the Holy Spirit would teach their heart and their mind through the word today. Lord, we do come humbly before you. Thank you for the word of God, for the ability to worship you together. Guide us and teach us. We lift this up to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here we go in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 through 10. It says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Okay, so we've said before that Hebrews was probably a sermon that was given. It just flows like a sermon. A lot of people think it was. Who gave it? I don't know. Apollos, who knows? But the Lord knows and whoever gave it knows. But anyway, and then it was copied down later as a letter and then sent out to all these churches. And so... um, like at the end of a sermon, we joke about landing the plane sometimes. You have a sermon, going to think you got to land the plane, right? Gotta, you want to take off, and then you got to land it. It's not done until everybody's out of the plane. So the idea that, but sometimes there's things at the end that you want to get out, and it feels like the, the preacher is doing that here, um, kind of knocking off these, these points that are deeply important. We talked about marriage. We talked about money. And uh, I joke today, we're going to talk about, you know, don't be a Mormon, just to follow with the M's there. But um, anyway, we're not really going to. Talk about, well, we, I'm going to mention Mormons. But anyway, the, uh, not Mormons, the people, but what Mormons. No, okay, we'll get there. So, but this idea that these things seem a bit disconnected, right? 
So it's like, okay, remember your leaders. Consider what they do. Imitate their faith. Oh, Jesus, doesn't change. Um, don't get away by crazy people. Uh, strengthened by grace. Foods, altars, no right to eat. Okay, next thing. How is this all connected? So part of what we're going to do is try to find the string through all of this. So to do that, we're going to walk through the text. So it says, remember your leader. So remember means to remember. Call to mind something that happened in the past. Remember who? Your leaders are those who led you. And what did they do? They spoke the word of God to you. It's not just like leaders like remember, remember Mrs. Borgman, your second grade teacher who gave you the hammock maneuver and saved you from, uh, from suffocating on a butterscotch, which happened to me while I was waiting and playing uh, heads up, seven up in second grade. So the second graders, they just brought all that to mind. So not just that, but what are these, what are specifically we supposed to remember? People who've done what? Have taught you or spoke the word of God to you. So someone who, who taught you the Bible, Someone who revealed Christ to you said, hey, do you know who Jesus is? Let me take you to the Bible and show you. Someone who encouraged you with the word of God, challenged you with the word of God. Someone who walked alongside you, who led you and said, hey, I've been on this path before. Walk with me a little ways. Uh, here's a great spot to take off and rest. Look at the view from over here. You wouldn't have seen that if you hadn't walked through the trees. See, I've been here. Follow what I've done. So to remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Do you have people like that in your past? Like you're thinking, man, there are people in my past. I have so many who spoke the word of God to me. There were teachers and pastors and friends and, and friends of my parents and all this wonderful, I stand on the shoulders of all of these people. And we need to remember them. So think about someone like in your past like a, who taught the word of God to you. Keep that person in mind. Because the next thing it says after we remember them is to consider what they did. It says, consider the outcome of their way of life. How was their life lived? So the word consider only happens here and in Acts chapter 17, where Paul is in Athens. He goes to the Areopagus and he, he needs to know what these people are thinking. So he goes around and it says, he comes up and he's like, men of, Ath men of Athens, I've carefully observed your city and I've seen your altars to all these gods. And I found one that said to an unknown God, and I'm here to tell you the unknown God is Jesus, and he, he uses what he knows of their culture and their society to proclaim Christ to them. That word consider is to carefully consider, to think, to engage your mind, right, to evaluate. So you remember them, but then look back on their lives. Were their lives in alignment with what they taught? Sometimes they will be. Some of the people who taught me the most about the Bible fell away and were, have come back and forth. Some of those have, have just walked from youth all the way till the Lord brought them home in this wonderful, faithful string of godliness. But consider the outcome of their way of life. What did their life produce? And then what are you supposed to do? Imitate their faith. The original word for that is where we get the word mimic. Also the root word for mime. I mean, we don't like mime people. Like, but anyway, mimes are wonderful and terrifying all at the same time. But this idea of imitating their faith. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say consider their way of life and then imitate their way of life. Don't say copy the way they do things. Don't do that. You're not them. They're them. You're you. But you're supposed to imitate their what? Their faith. Because it was their faith that made everything else possible. It was their faith that made their life extraordinary. So when you have these leaders, people who have taught you the word of God in the past, and you considered the outcome of their way of life and thought, what was their life like? Was their life different? And if so, 
imitate their faith. Well, what is their faith in? Jesus. So why the next verse is here. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So because we have all these leaders, but they're, they come and go. You have a life like Moses is not around anymore. Abraham, he's gone. Peter, Paul, James, all these leaders in the past, they're gone. Who remains? It is Christ. So this thread of remembering and considering the outcome and imitating their faith, but that is, I don't put my hope in people. We're going to talk about how that, that connects with how uh, cults function as people put their hope in humans. Don't do that. You don't hope in the leaders. You don't have faith in them. Don't do that. I'm telling you, if I will disappoint you. If I haven't already, just be around long enough and I will disappoint you on some level, okay? Because I'm a human. Everybody in your life will disappoint you. It's just reality. If you don't think anyone will ever disappoint you, you're, just, you're in for a little bit of uh, disappointment, just so you know. So, because people are going to fail you. They're going to forget. They're going to be mad. They're going to have a bad day. Sometimes they're going to be intentionally mean. People are people. We're fallen and we're redeemed and we struggle. So don't put your faith in other people, even though they were great. Your faith is anchored solely in Jesus Christ. It says he is the same yesterday and today and forever. So, so the, the, the full name of Jesus Christ here, you've got, you've got Jesus, which, which calls to his, his sonship and his, and his earthly work, and Christ is this messianic title, and it affirms his deity. And so these things are, it's all wrapped up in this title of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Who is he? He is fully man, and he is fully God. And he was the same yesterday when he created all things. When he spoke creation into being, he was the same. When he spoke to Abraham, he was the same. When he spoke to Moses in the burning bush. You remember the story in John 8 where he says, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was the one speaking to Moses in the burning bush. He was the same as he led the nation of Israel. He is the same when he was incarnate in the flesh. And uh, through Mary, he is the same when he lived life here on earth and he did miraculous things. He healed the blind and the deaf and the mute and he spoke hope to the poor. He preached the gospel and he is the same as he was doing that. He is the same as he went to the cross and he was the propitiation for the sins of all mankind when he took all of our sins on himself and died in our place. He's the same when he rose from the dead and when he ascended into heaven, he is the same and he is the same today. This whole book of Hebrews has talked about how he is a high priest and he intercedes for us. He is doing that now. He is interceding for us this very day. The same Jesus you see in the gospel is the same Jesus who intercedes for us. He does not change. And he is the same forever. Forever. The Christ that will come back in a revelation that we see is the same Jesus that always was. He's not a different Jesus. He is the same. Why is that important? The theological concept is his immutability. Mutable means changing. Humans are infinitely mutable. Like we are constantly in flux. We're constantly changing. Like even biologically, like we shed our skin and grow new skin and we have hair that gets thinner and, or maybe thicker and grows and, and you have, we are constantly changing. And praise the Lord that Brandon is not the same today as I was yesterday. 
I mean, hallelujah. That is my great hope that I'm not the same as I was as an 11-year-old. I was a nightmare as an 11-year-old. And that I am, amen, my mom says. I was. I mean, it is the truth. Truer words have never been spoken. Oh, my gosh. I wish I could go back and, like, sit down with sixth grade Brandon and be like, son, you got a lot of changing to do. Um, Woo. But I'm not the same me that I was. I am transformed because of Jesus. And I will be different 30 years in the future than I am today if I will walk with the Lord. He will transform us. Praise the Lord that we are in a process of changing. If you can't see who you are now and know who Jesus is and want to be different, you got to wake up because God wants to transform you from the inside out. He wants to transform who you are. Jesus is in the business of transforming us. And he can only do that because he is immutable. He never changes. And like when it talks about that he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek and that his priesthood is forever, it's because he does not change. So how does that connect with don't be carried away about all kinds of strange teachings? So you've got people, right? These leaders, teachers who spoke to you and taught you. Consider the way of life. But the Jesus, and even in the structure of this verse, he's like the hinge between these two things, these good teachers and these bad ones. What is the difference between them? It is Jesus. Those who put their hope and their faith in Christ alone teach you the word of God. Those who don't have all kinds of strange teachings. So a lot of the New Testament is written about strange teachers. I mean, Jude and Peter and, and Paul all write about these guys. But Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, and talking about what is the purpose of really the body of Christ. In your somewhere, where's Ephesians? There it is, okay. Sometimes that hides when you're flipping pages. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, oh, we'll start in maybe 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for what? Works of service. So that what? The body of Christ may be built up. Until when? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So that work, the work of the church, continues until Jesus comes back. Or personally, until you go to be with Jesus. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up to him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There's like 75 sermons in there, but the point of this is there, are, there is strange things going on. There are things that are blowing us around. And you'll see people like this, people who are just like, they're like, a, a buoy that's come off its moorings. They're just blown everywhere, rammed into stuff, smashed into things. Why? You get blown around, carried away, when you unanchor from the unchangeable Jesus. That is what happens. There is only two, well, okay, there's lots more than two realities, I guess, but the, the reality is that there's only one Jesus. And if I anchor myself to something other than Christ himself, not what somebody else taught me about Jesus, but what Christ teaches us about himself through the word, I'm going to get blown around at some point. So it says, but the warning is for believers, don't be carried away. By what? What kinds of teaching? All kinds. What, what are they like? They're strange. 
How do you know they're strange? We'll get into that in just a second. But you know something's off because you know what is true. That is how you know something is strange. And then he says it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods. But how is that connected? Well, when people are teaching us strange things and we're having to process through, what is it that is true? What is it that the Bible says? What is it that this is error, this is truth? How is, we need our heart to be strengthened in that process. And what do we need to be strengthened by? And what is the contrast here? Heart strengthened what? By grace, not by ceremonial foods. It says, which are of no value to those who eat them. What is he talking about here? So different um, sectarian groups in Christianity focus on weird things. One of the things they focus on is what you're eating. The Judaizers in particular, which were a problem for in Hebrews and in Galatians and during that time, the Gnostics did the same thing where they were focusing on certain foods that you ate. So Paul, again, is addressing this in Colossians chapter 2, where he says this. Oh, there's a lot in here. We're going to start in verse 16. 2.16 says this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, the new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. All these religious things that we're supposed to do. Don't let someone judge you according to those things. Someone says, you got to do this. Got to play this way. Got to give here. Got to talk this. Got to wear that. All these things that you do, people do, don't let them judge you by those things. It says these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in who? Christ. He is the center and he is the reality that we are founded on. So it says, don't, don't let anyone who delights in false humility, the worship of angels, disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen and, to his, uh, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost his connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, uh, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to, do you submit to its rulers? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Is clear as a bell. Legalism works from the outside in. Change your behavior, change your heart. God doesn't work like that. God transforms our heart. He transforms what is real to us and he works out into our behavior. We so often, not just, not just cults and sectarian groups, but in the church, we focus on behavior. Well, what is that? How short is the skirt? How tall is the thing? Do you have a tattoo? Do you have this? It's not a real tattoo, but it's a fake tattoo. But who cares if I had one anyway? And so you've got all this stuff. Um, it's a Bible verse. Can you tattoo Bible verses on you? Is that okay? I don't know. We have these discussions. Well, can you eat this? Can you eat bacon? Can you eat ham? Can you do this? Can you drink Coke? Can you drink coffee? Can you drink tea? Oh, my gosh. There's a, like, this giant cloud of dumb that people are arguing about all the time. What news do you watch? How did you vote? How did you do this? What shoes do you wear? What neighborhood do you live in? What car do you buy? Who cares? Jesus, 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 Jesus. That is the focus. We are not the Vine Community Church. Come and listen to what Brandon says on Sunday. We're the Vine Community Church. Come and listen to the word of God. That is what we listen to. 
If I tell you ever, ever, ever anything contrary to what this book says, you can throw it at me from the seat. You understand me? I mean it. We put them there on purpose. Just get it. It's all in the wrist. If I say something that is clearly in opposition to what this says, throw that book at me or tackle me or whatever. Never let me say something contrary to the word of God. If I do, take me out. Maybe like out, out, maybe correct me, but don't like, but the idea being this, don't be carried away and your hearts have to be strengthened by what? By grace. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. You as a child of God have the favor of God. Do you understand that? You have his favor. It's not just that he's like, okay, I'm not going to smash you now, but I'm going to stick you in the corner until I'm done with you. No, it's not how grace functions. He brings you into the family. And not only that, but he indwells you with himself. And his grace can strengthen your heart. So when you're walking through life, you're remembering leaders, you're considering all these things, you're focusing on Christ, you're trying not to be carried away by all these strange teachings, you're going to need courage. And that strength has to come from grace. If it comes from external things, it's not going to last. As a matter of fact, it will drive you away from him because they are of no value to those who eat them. Because the verse 10 says, we have an altar from, uh, from which those who minister the tabernacle have no right to eat. Okay, what is he talking about? What is an altar? An altar is where something goes to die. The Old Testament had an altar. Animals came up to the altar. They would sacrifice the animal. The animal would bleed out. They would cut out in pieces and burn it at the altar for their sin. When you get married, you get married at what? An altar. Something goes to die on a wedding day. (laughs) What is it? Singleness. On your wedding day, your singleness dies. You understand me? And then you, every day after that, you choose to die to singleness and live to the marriage. This is a picture of marriage. You die to yourself as a single person to live to the union of marriage to the glory of God, and he helps us to do that. But we go to an altar at a wedding because singleness dies there. So if you're married and you're acting like you're single, you're like dating a corpse, quit it. It's gross, it's weird, you're married. Live like it. If you don't wanna not be single, don't get married because singlehood dies at the altar of marriage. What is our altar? the cross. We have an altar. Our altar is the cross of Jesus Christ. And you'll notice he's not on it. Because he died and he was buried and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he's coming back for us. It's a symbol of what he did. And what did he do? He died on the cross. So Hebrews is very clear about this in chapter 10, which, gosh, just go back and read the whole thing again. But chapter 10, I'm not going to read it all, but he says in verse 8, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, O Lord, although the law required them to be made. So then I said, here I am, I've come to do your will. And he sets aside the first, the law, to establish the second, the new covenant. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, Once for all, there is no more sacrifice for sin. It's done. And it was done on the altar of the cross. See, the 
the Jews and under the Levitical priesthood, they had to make sacrifices day after day after day after day after day after day after day. Christ died once for all. And so we have an altar that those who minister at the tabernacle who are entrusting the law for their own righteousness, who are entrusting uh, their, own, their own righteousness to justify themselves, you cannot trust in the old covenant or any other covenant and the new one at the same time. The new covenant of Jesus Christ is entirely exclusive to Christ himself. It's why we, we, we celebrate communion. It's a remembrance of that thing. Okay, so. There's a lot here. I get it. And uh, we're going to talk about a few things, though. One of the things is I want to discuss with you some of the crazy things that are going on in uh, our world and have all gone on in our world today. There are a lot of cults and uh, sectarian groups that claim to be Christians, and they've got some things in common. So as a pastor, you know, the pastor is another word for shepherd, and nothing will make me angrier faster than someone trying to deceive one of you and pull you away from the truth. Make me really mad. Why? Because I love you, and I don't want you pulled away from the truth of Jesus. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it is that some cults do. So what, what defines a cult? Well, here's the deal. They are, by nature, difficult to define. But in this process of things, I want you to be doing two things. I want you to be on the alert. I want you to be on the alert, and I want you to anchor in Jesus. Those two things. Be on the alert and anchor in Jesus. What does it look like to be on the alert? First is to think biblically. Remember the last two weeks? Talking about thinking biblically, being out of sync with the world, and being in sync with the word. Think biblically. I want you to study the Bible regularly and with other people. And I want you to practice discernment, which is where you're thinking about something that's going on. So cults tend to do this. I'm not going to name all of them because there are a bunch. Some of the famous ones are, are, the, are the Mormons. Uh, there's the... Uh, uh, which is, used to be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I think they dropped the Latter-day Saints because they're sneaky, and now they're just the Church of Jesus Christ, even though they aren't, but they're the Mormons. There are the Jehovah's Witnesses. There are the people that I yelled at in Walmart that one time. That is the, the, the World Society uh, Church of God in Christ is along with. They have God the Mother. It's all weird. But they all do certain things. All cults, first, they claim to be biblically-based Christian organizations, right? Um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, they claim to be a Christian organization. They're like, we believe in the Bible. Of course we do. The, the Jehovah's Witnesses say, we believe in the Bible. You're like, really? Well, let's read my Bible. They're like, no, not your Bible, my Bible. I believe in your Bible. No, no, no. We all have our own Bible. That's what they say. Why do they do that? Because they have to be hooked on to something. By the way, these are not just people doing stuff. This is the demonic work of Satan. It's what he's doing. It's just let's say what it is. There's only two teams, Jesus and the devil. Jesus doesn't lead astray. The devil does. So anytime there's deception, anytime there's lies, anytime there's manipulation, that's the devil at work. But they always claim to be biblically-based Christian organizations, some tie to that, right? Christian science is the same way. Um, and so when you're looking at those things, if they say that they are, that's one thing. But we're going to look at evaluating those things. So they claim to be biblically-based Christian organizations. Two, they will always deny or redefine an essential Christian doctrine. So if you don't know the creeds, the Nicene Creed, those things, those were put in place a long time ago because church leaders were like, hold on, there's all these heresies going around. We need to kind of codify essential Christian doctrines. That's why they're in the creeds. That's why we still say them today because they're true. That's why it's called a, a creed. 
It's this true thing that we believe. So a cult will always deny or redefine essential Christian doctrines. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They deny his deity as the Bible defines deity, right? Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, they totally reject the concept of the Trinity. Uh, there are all these errors that they will say and they will couch them in really clever language to get you all clouded up. But if, they're, if you don't know essential Christian doctrines, you need to learn them, okay? You need to learn them. We have a Bible reading plan. I, I don't have a read a book that somebody else wrote plan. Other books are great. I love them. I love the books from Christian history. I want you to read the Bible, and I want you to know it. I don't want you to read it once. I want you to read it always. You understand? Read through it. Great. Read through it again. Great. Make it a part of your life. Because cults will define, or redefine or deny essential Christian doctrines. And if you don't know what those are, you won't know what they're saying. Okay, third, they're generally led by some kind of divinely inspired leader. Okay, Joseph Smith, or uh, I remember Reverend uh, Sun Moon, uh, Moon, 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 excuse me, Sun Myung Moon, who's the leader of the Unification Church. If you don't know what that is, Google it. Wacky. Led a lot of people astray. They always have some kind of divinely inspired leader. Mary Baker Eddy. All these, they've always got somebody. Why? Because they need some mouthpiece. Someone to say, I'm receiving the revelation and I will then give it to you. You know what? The Bible talks about those. They're called false prophets. Deuteronomy says to stone them. If they say this is going to happen... I'm a prophet of God. This thing is going to happen. And it doesn't, they were supposed to kill him. Serious business. The next time a prophet comes up to you and they say something to you, and it doesn't happen, say, hey, um, I got a pile of rocks in the backyard. You want to come see him? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But like, take him to Deuteronomy chapter 13 and say, hey, this is what it says. Take him to Deuteronomy 18. This is what it says. So take him to the Bible. So but there's always someone who's some sort of a seer or a living prophet who has new revelation from God. They always claim to be biblically based. They deny or redefine doctrines, and they're always led by some kind of divinely inspired leader. Our church is not led by a divinely inspired leader. It's led by Jesus, who is divine, not some divine leader. That's crazy. And yet, millions of people are led astray. Millions and millions of people. Um, the, the, the president of the Mormon church today can, can give new revelation that can... Blank out the old revelation. That's why the, the Mormons will believe in the Bible and the Book of Mormon. Because the Book of Mormon, they can edit. Super handy. When someone's like, what? You said that, that, uh, that blacks can't be Mormons? That's illegal. Oh, well, we're going to have a new revelation now that says that it, I mean, really, that's what they do. Because it's false. Fourth, they'll always claim to possess some kind of new and inspired written scripture that either supplements or supersedes the Bible. The writings of Mary Baker Eddy are classic in that. There's all these, uh, the writings of L. Ron Hubbard that, that founded Scientology. These are all things that have these little tendrils connected to the truth, but there's some other book you've got to read. So someone comes up to you and they're like, okay, I got the Bible. Oh, the Bible's good, but read this too. Stick it between the pages of your Bible. You can just take that book and go, this is a great book. I'm going to burn it. You're going to watch me and I'm going to read my Bible. So They'll always have this. These are things that are almost always what, what cults or, or sectarian groups will have. 
some kind of new or inspired written scripture that's not the word of God, okay? And finally, they will claim to have the only true church in the world. Jehovah's Witnesses, they're 144,000. Probably when they reach that number, they had to tweak some things. Uh, Mormons, same thing. They, they're the one true church, right? You'll always claim that. Of course, we as Christians say we're the one true church, but we're appointed to Jesus. We're like, the true church is the one who puts their faith in Christ alone. And we have this unified message through church, church history. And our only source of life and doctrine is the Bible. That's it. We don't have another one. So be on the alert. Think about these things. If you see one of these things going on, say something, do something, confront. I would rather you look like a fool and yell at some guys in Walmart than, than just stand by while somebody leads someone into error. Really. So what are some principles for evaluating uh, religious movements? Real quickly, there's four of these. This is where you can engage someone or ask a question. Someone comes to you, knocks on your door. I get it. Someone knocks on the door and they've got the little name tag and there's, you know, there's two of them or whatever. You're gonna, you know they're Mormons. They're not a big secret anymore. But you can ask them. Say, hey, what is the source of your movement's authority, doctrine, and practice? What is it? What's the source of your authorities, of your movement's authority, doctrine, and practice? Mine's the Bible. Only the Bible. What is yours? Oh, well, ours is this. Oh, plus this. Oh, and this plus this. Oh, and the writings of so-and-so. Ask that question. What is your source of authority? Um, do they, second, does the movement clearly affirm basic historic Christian doctrines? I mean, like, look at the Nicene Creed, read it, and then ask them. Say, do you believe this? They're probably going to say yes. And say, okay, what about this part? And then you can just start to dissect, but ask these kinds of questions. Does that movement clearly affirm? So they say, okay, so will you affirm these things, that Jesus is the, is the, son, of the, is the son of God, that he's the second person of the Trinity? Do you affirm the Trinity? Do you affirm? So ask these things. What do their leaders believe about the nature of God? Those kind of things. Third, what is the movement's attitude toward other Bible-believing Christians? Do they fit in? You ask a Mormon, am I saved? They'll say no. Well, they'll say yes, but they really mean no because they're tricky. And so you got to ask, they say, oh yeah, sure, 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 sure. Do you believe in Jesus of Nazareth? But when they say Jesus of Nazareth and I say Jesus of Nazareth, we're talking about two different people. I'm talking about the incarnate son of God, the second member of the Godhead who was never changed. He is changeless. He is immutable. He is eternal. They don't believe that. So ask them, what is their attitude toward other people? Like, do they insist that you have to be a member of their group to be saved? Ding, 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 ding. Don't follow them. If they're like, oh, yeah, we need you to come here. You're going to live in this fun house with us. We're going to all play games together, and you're not going to be cut off from your parents. We're going to take all your stuff away, and you can't talk to anybody else. Please don't do that. Like, they're a cult. Run away. Now, on a side note, if you know someone who's caught up in that, would you get ask for help? Uh, Cults are incredibly powerful because they prey on people's need to be, uh, to be deeply and truly loved. And they prey on people's need to be included in something. And the church, unfortunately, has, has worked oftentimes to exclude other people because of what they believe. Are you charismatic? Do you do this? Do you, do you, uh, how do you do baptism? How do you do this? What kind of clothes do you wear? What do you worship on Super Bowl Sunday? Blah, blah, blah. All these different things that we used to divide us. And cults come in and prey on those things. So if you know someone who is caught up in that, like... Uh, Contact me. We can pray for people. If you've been caught up in that, like help somebody else out. Or if you feel like you're being drawn in by something, be on the alert. One of the ways you can do that is, hey, are, I've got people at my church. They believe the Bible. What do you think about them? Just ask questions. Fourth, and finally here, how does the movement explain the way of salvation? 
Oftentimes, it goes through some other dude or some other lady. Well, you really are saved by believing the writings of Mary Baker Eddy. Oh, really? But did she die on the cross for me? No, nope, doesn't count. You can always ask that question. Oh, great, did your leader die on the cross and raise from the dead? No, okay, I'm out. I've got one leader, his name's Jesus. He leads our church. Anybody else? They can go somewhere else. They don't believe in Jesus, they are. But just speaking the truth. So be on the alert. Think biblically, study regularly, practice, discernment. You know the old adage that they, they train the secret service not to, they don't know all the counterfeit bills. They just study the real thing so that when they see a counterfeit bill, they know the real thing so well, it sticks out immediately. So know the word of God. Know it, not just so that you can have knowledge. Know it so that you can grow closer to Jesus, but also so that you can have knowledge because you need to be on the alert. And finally here, I want you to anchor in Jesus. Why? Because he is a constant in a sea of change. I mean, the only constant is change. You've heard that phrase? Because it's true. Everything is in flux in our world. Everything. Every day is different. Every, things are growing. Things are changing. It is a constant flux. And Hebrews says that Jesus is the anchor for our souls. What does an anchor do? An anchor drops down to the seafloor, hooks into the seafloor so that what? So that the ship doesn't get blown away, doesn't get slammed into the rocks, doesn't get slammed into the reef. Because I'm telling you, there are messages, there are counter gospels that are pushing you into the shoals, that are pushing you into the rocks, that are pushing you out of a, a, an abundant life that we're supposed to have in Jesus. And the only way to not be shoved into that is to be anchored in Christ alone and in his constant love for you. So why does it matter that he doesn't change, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Here's why. His love for you never changes. Do you understand that? It does not waver, doesn't have a bad day, does not sleep poorly that night and is grumpy at you. It does not forget. Jesus does not forget to love you. He does not forget to say, oh, well, this person is my beloved. He does not forget to inhabit you with the Holy Spirit. He never changes. We have to anchor our hearts in the immutability, the unchangeableness of who Jesus is because everything else will change. Everything else will disappoint. So what does that look like? What does it look like to actually do that, to anchor my heart in Christ alone? Practically speaking, it looks like taking time to think, taking time to be quiet, open the word, read it, think about what the word of God says, ask the Lord to help you, ask him every day, Lord, anchor my soul in you, say it every day, ask him to teach you, he's your teacher, ask him to disciple you, you're a disciple of Jesus. Ask him to lead you. I'm telling you, we don't get up here and say all this stuff because it's just like a fun game. We follow Jesus. He is alive. He works through the living word of God. His Holy Spirit inhabits you. We don't have some dead belief. We worship the risen Christ. And he said, come and follow me. So follow him. Follow him. Follow him. So it looks like taking time to think. It looks like taking time to be quiet. And it looks like being a part of community. Reason that's so important is that it, it, when I'm struggling or if I start getting off in something or if I say something that's wacky, I've got brothers and sisters who can be like, mm, what? What are you doing there? Are you, I saw you yell at, heard you yell at Jenny the other day. What's going on? And that's fun, right? 
not yelling at Jenny, but having somebody put you in a check, right? Um, if you ever hear me yell at Jenny, you can throw more than a Bible at me, by the way. Um, something heavy like a car. So, Hebrews. It's a book that is written for us to do what it says. So I'm going to encourage you today to be on the alert, to anchor yourself in Jesus, to remember those who were in the past, and just to follow him. One of the ways that we do that is we celebrate communion here. And it's a wonderful picture of what God is doing in our lives on a continual basis. And the reason that it's important is that it is one of those regular things that we can do, that we can continue to do, that remind us of what Christ has done for us. He gave this command so long ago that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That in the same way that he took the wine and he poured it into the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. That we have a new covenant that we are now under. That Christ's broken body is a remembrance. It is a memorial. That this cup symbolizes the blood that he shed for us so that we can have grace and new life in him today. This, t- this table is not a denominational table. I don't care if you're a Methodist or a Presbyterian or whatever. This is the table for believers of Jesus to come and remember what he has done. To remember that he is the unchangeable anchor of our souls. We take communion by method of intinction, which means you'll take a piece of bread and you'll dip it in the cup. We do have some gluten-free options up here if you need that. And I'm going to pray and ask for our servers to come on down. So please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your cross, for the resurrection that we come to celebrate you today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity that we have to come here today and to remember who you are, to remember that you are Christ alone and that we worship you. Would you help us, Lord Jesus, as we take communion today? Here we go, Tim. Take communion today and as we remember what you have done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Father, we thank you just for the opportunity to come here and to, to remember, to remember what you have done, to remember your sacrifice for us, Lord Jesus, to come and take a moment to just pause, Lord, and to do this on a regular basis. Would you use it, O oh Lord, to anchor us in who you are, to anchor us in the person of Jesus, in the work of Jesus, who unchanges, who never changes, and who is unchanging, and upon whom we can rest all things. We thank you, Lord, just for your great grace to us. We thank you, Father, for the return of Jesus, that we look forward not only to his coming back, but to his making all things new. And so we trust in you right now, Lord Jesus, as we come and we celebrate together. And as we close in worship, Lord, I pray that you will fill our hearts with wonder, that you will help us to appreciate not only who you are, but who you always have been, Lord Jesus, and who you are in the future, that you are never changing, that you are always the same. So join as we finish this time by responding to the Lord in worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent what more can he say than to you he has said, to you for refuge, to Jesus have fled.
dedicate a child, sign up out there. If you want to join our new member class, sign up out there. And I want you to remember to be on the alert. Some of the worst attacks on our faith come from within. It is a wolf in sheep's clothing. They're out there. I'm telling you. So be on the alert and do so by anchoring your soul in Jesus. Go in peace.